Hello, beautiful. Thank you for tuning in to the Colorism Healing Podcast, where our goal is to learn, transform, and resist. What you're about to listen to is the audio version of my weekly live streams on Instagram and Facebook, which you are welcome to join every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central Time. But for now, I hope you enjoy this episode. Interview. So if you have Instagram, it's better to watch it that way because I'll be bringing on someone named Edlin Veras to talk about colorism, his research around colorism, get his perspective on, he's currently a doctoral candidate, but I'll let him tell you all more about himself. And as I wait for him to come on and join... I'm going to remind you all, of course, as I do every week, that the Colorism Healing Writing Contest is now underway. It opened in January, and the deadline is April 30th by midnight central time. And I think those are the only announcements. I think most of you all know I did a TED Talk, and that went really well. They said that the recording, the YouTube version, would be available maybe this week. Hopefully, so fingers crossed, I'll let you all know if you couldn't watch the live stream. I'll let you all know when that's available to watch on YouTube as well. Um, oh, I see you. You joined. So I'll wait for you to... There we go. Okay, let's see. Just got our introductions out of the way. I think I did that right. Oh, there you go. Yay. Hey. <laughs> Hey, uh, it's How's good it going? Good to see you as well. Let me get set this. Let me figure this out real quick. Yeah, take your time. Um, so, folks, I met Edlin on Twitter. Um, we haven't really interacted much on Instagram. Instagram is like my platform of choice. You know, and the Facebook folks watching, they they know that as well. Um, but you know, it's it's rare to find men in particular who. Um, speak on colorism who have interesting perspectives on colorism but who are also like proactively discussing colorism and so I was really impressed when I found your Twitter page and and then to learn that you're working with Own Own Your I Am right an organization founded by Raven Roberts to raise awareness about colorism so I'm excited to jump into all of that but we'll start by letting you just introduce yourself and tell people who you are. I did share your bio, but in case people okay. are, don't remember. <laughs> yeah, so uh, <clears throat> as Dr. Webb said, my name is Evan Veras. Uh, I'm a doctoral candidate at the University of South Florida. I study racialization processes uh, in the U.S. and in the, in the Caribbean. Um, and since 2019, I've been working with On Your I Am trying to put on programs and have discussions either on, on uh, here on IG Live, on Twitter, um, Clubhouse, wherever people will listen to us so we can talk about colorism. Um, and and that, that's really a program spearheaded by, by, only, um, by Raven Roberts. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm really just excited to be here to, to discuss, to talk, to, you know, just see what it's about. All right. So we'll also be taking audience questions. So anyone who's watching, and I, I do have a stream going on Facebook, so Facebook people can hear you, Edwin, but even if they can't see you. Um, oh, cool. Has questions um, either on Instagram or Facebook, let me know. On Instagram in particular, if you use the, at the bottom of your screen, if you use the question mark with the comment, I will see your question. 
it's hard sometimes to distinguish between comments and questions. So if you really want me to see your question, then use the question mark feature at the bottom. That'll help me distinguish between comments and questions. So I think the, the way I usually start is just with the very basic question about when, how, or why, or all three. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that big. <laughs> why did you first become aware of this issue called colorism? Oh, yeah. So when I think I was about, I think I was 17. I was 17. I had just went away to college and it was an ice cream social. Um, and I, I introduced myself to this, to this young woman. And she's like, mm -mm, you lighter than a brown paper bag. And I said, and I said, you know, and then that, that kind of, that kind of stuck with me for a little bit. And I would later find out that that kind of terminology and that where the history of that, um, where that kind of originated and it just fascinated me. And then my own, my own, kind of family background from the Dominican Republic kind of has an interesting um, race, ethnicity dynamic as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, ever since then, I kind of really just dove in head first and, and, and realizing moving from uh, South Florida, so Broward, Broward area, if, I don't know if, if anyone's familiar, not too, far from, not too far from Miami, to then going to Atlanta, the deep South in a different type of way, um, really kind of unpack some, some interesting uh, questions about skin tone in a way that uh, we're always relevant, but we're relevant in a different way in Atlanta. Um, and from there, I just kind of dove into it and been studying it and, and living it ever since. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now I have all kinds of follow-up questions <laughs> that you said. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of, I, I, what I love one reason I love talking to people from all around the world and different backgrounds is the comparative analysis. And I know I can use words like that with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of how colorism shows up in different places, right? And so could you talk more about that difference? Like, why do you think Atlanta is different from South Florida? Like, unpack that a little bit. Oh, yeah, sure. So in, in, in South Florida, it was, there were a lot of folks from all over Latin America and the Caribbean. So people were primarily identifying other folks by country of origin, is what mm -hmm. I found. Oh, you're from Jamaica, you're Haitian, you're Bahamian, you're Bayesian, you're this, that. Um, and skin color was definitely there, right? But it was, you know, I don't want to say secondary, but it was a little more in the background. In Atlanta, it's like, okay, you black and you white, and then you something else. But like, and then the, the gradations of, of blackness kind of was at the, at the forefront of a lot of conversations. So while... Nation of Origin was important in Atlanta. It wasn't nearly the same as it was in, in, in South Florida, where, again, people were more readily identifying um, and being identified by their, by their parents' country of origin and things like that. So in Atlanta, it was, just came, it, it was a lot about, um, yeah, skin tone, where, where you fell, you know, as a Black person, where you fell on that kind of spectrum. And, and then it became, you know, how you high yellow, you know, all these things. Um, and yeah, that I mean that, that and and then learning the history about those different those different locations, right? So Miami has this kind of global, global is a global city, right? It has gotten these, these migrations from all over. Atlanta does have migration as well, certainly. Um, but again, the, the different type of deep south. I always like to, you know, geographically speaking, Miami's further south than Atlanta, but it it doesn't have the same feel. It doesn't feel right. the same. 
right. when you walk into a, an all-white establishment or, or something. So I always talk about that. that. That's such a good point. You're right. Like, Miami is from the South, but it's not the same South. Not the same. Right. Thing. Um, so in terms of the diaspora, right, you um, talk about being from the Dominican Republic. And so in terms of that, it's more internationally, do you see patterns or contrasts or similarities even when we look at the broader diaspora versus the United States? Oh, yeah. So in oh, operates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I always tell people that you know, while race may be a little different in different places, colorism remains about the same, where mm -hmm. people with the darkest skin color are going to be, you know, on the lower levels of society in terms of access to resources and so on and so forth. Um, so in that way, it's like pretty similar. You can go anywhere, and you'll find the darkest folks, even in predominantly black countries, right? The darker, the, the darker skin folks are going to be disadvantaged. Um, so I always found that, I always found that kind of constant. Uh, I think what What's interesting is um, the countries that adopt or don't adopt kind of one drop, mm -hmm. one, the one drop rule. So you can have people, you can come, you can, you can be born into a family um, where both parents are visibly black or maybe one parent is visibly black. But if you come out a different color, if you come out, if you're not, if you're not unambiguously black, then, then you, then you get, then you're not labeled as black in that country or you're not recognized as black. Um, right, and that's a social construction of race that we all know about, and um, you know, race is going to show up differently in different places. So that's always interesting. Um, and then, of course, the, a lot of the conversations that come up around uh, in my research and even in other places in Latin America, the discussions about how money lightens. You know, so there's there's a saying, there's a saying. Um, uh, in in fact, one of my one of my interviews in the Dominican Republic, he says, if the, if you are if you are black and you have money, they call you a black man. If you're, if you're black and you don't have money, they call you Haitian. So in that respect, there's a really interesting, a really interesting dynamic between race, ethnicity, color, in wow. ways that I don't see in you know, other places. But that is really you know, deeply intertwined and embedded in the social fabric of, of the Dominican Republic. So there's a lot, uh, a lot there to unpack, and I'm, I'm excited to continue to write about that as I try to finish the dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> go, go, you can do it. Thank you, thank you. Um, so I'm thinking about your research in the diaspora and what would you say are some of the, in terms of the continent itself, right? Mm. Have, in, is this a part of your research when you're thinking about the diaspora? Do you notice any particular um, patterns coming from the continent itself that carried over with us as we, you know, went for various reasons to other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so patterns, patterns with respect to what, with respect to culture or uh, co things? Ideas and attitudes about skin tone and or even features and hair and that kind of thing. Okay, okay. So you know what, um, again, I'll, I'll draw from my research and thinking about uh, when I asked folks, for example, where where do black people come from? Like where if they had to tell me someone who doesn't know anything about this place, well, where, where would you say black people come from? And surprisingly, a lot of folks were like, you know, I'm not really sure, but I think Africa, you know, maybe Africa. And this is, you know, these are folks who are unambiguously black, clearly African descendant, you know, from Haiti, from and generations, generations in in, in the country of Haiti. Um, 
now living in DR. So they're saying these things and they're not really sure, which I always found fascinating, but it's also something that I know exists in other places where folks aren't really sure where other people's, uh, other people's origin, uh, origins are. But then, they had, but then there's this interesting anti-Blackness undercurrent that you see in that and they say, well, you know, Africans have uglier people than us Haitians even, you know, just so you know, you know, so I'm trying to contain myself, right? So, you know, you just try to get all this, you just trying to have these conversations and, and let them speak their minds. Okay. And some of these things that they say are, are really kind of jarring that, mm. you know, if it wasn't this person, you would think it's a, uh, you know, maybe a racist, non-Black person saying these things and um, talking about, and the conversations of good hair and bad hair, for example, um, very prevalent, very prevalent, even among the people with the darkest skin and the, and the you know, mm -hmm. coiliest hair. So that, those, the fact that that is part of the everyday culture and language is, is super interesting and, um, you know, I mean, we also know it's, it's a, it's a, it's a result of like social forces and whatnot. So, you know, it's not, it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not a, uh, it's not just to blame the, it's not just to blame the person for, you know, for their ideas or attitudes necessarily, but kind of understand where it's coming from. And Absolutely. so th those ideas definitely persist in, in interesting ways that, that I, I was not expecting initially going into my research. Yeah, so it seems like um, to kind of reflect on what you're saying throughout the diaspora, because I know I've definitely seen and heard those attitudes about that the continent of Africa in the United States, right? Various mm -hmm. places. And so there's like we talk about anti-blackness, but there's a, a it, that stems from anti-Africa, right? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I it, and like I don't think we talk about that correlation, like anti-blackness is also a direct result of like that. Um, so I kind of want to shift gears and talk about gender. Ooh. <laughs> again, I keep saying this, you know, but we don't, we don't have um, conversations with men as much in terms of colorism and you don't see sure. being represented in terms of narratives around colorism so we'll start again with your personal narrative if you're open to sharing but have you found your how has the intersection of gender and skin tone played out for you in ways that you've observed so i think in in a few ways um i mean obviously like in a systemic way i've, I've i'm benefiting you know perhaps the most as being very very light skin and being male and you know so forth um so I'm sure I'm the more palatable of, of folks in, in a lot of spaces. And, and that privilege is, you know, is a result of all these, all these histories. Um, I think the other side of that, that I wasn't quite um, sure about or, or wasn't quite expecting, I think, is what skin tone, how skin tone is tied to masculinity or performances of masculinity mm -hmm. that aren't always uh, super pre prevalent or super, um, you know, at, at the forefront of people's minds. So even, so in, again, in, in uh, Atlanta, my, my, my thesis research was on um, African-American men and colorism. And so I did focus groups with self-identified light-skinned men and self-identified dark-skinned men. Uh -huh. um, and these findings were super interesting. And, you know, mind you, it was small, it was a thesis, it was small. So yeah. I, I, I hope in the future to do kind of bigger studies and maybe nationally uh, representative. But 
some of the things that, you know, one of the quotes that kind of stuck out with me was um, someone said to one of the light-skinned participants, he said, you know, you're different than I thought you were. For, for a light-skinned man, you have dark-skinned tendencies. I said, well, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> right, and the, the idea was, the idea was he was more approachable, he was more down to earth, um, he was cooler, and he wasn't as, uh, as soft as he, was as he was perceived to be, as feminine, as effeminate as he was perceived to be, um, right? So we also know these kind of these ideas of blackness and black masculinity um, stemming from slavery as hypersexual, you know, brutes and so on and so forth. So, right, the, the, that spectrum, if you're on the, the further away from that, you're going to be less, less likely to be associated with da being dangerous, um, right? So a lot of these, a lot of the lighter skinned men in my sample were always talking about being trying to be hyper masculine to compensate for their skin tone, for the perceptions of their skin tone and how they would behave as being hyper, um, hypersensitive or too emotional uh, in their romantic relationships, their interpersonal relations with other men. Um, and this is stemming all the way from you know, elementary school through college. So this is a life course trajectory that men are dealing with their skin tone and aren't really being able to talk about it. You know, men, a lot of people, a lot of men in the study were saying, like, hey, I never said this stuff before. I never, I never talked about this before. Um, I had one, one, one uh, young man who was self-identified as very dark-skinned. And he, you know, he's like, my, my cousins were much lighter than I was. And everyone always wanted to touch their hair. And nobody wanted to touch my hair. Like, no, mm -hmm. my grandma, you know, and it's like, wait a minute. You know, because these, these things, we don't, we don't really associate them with, you know, young boys trying to, Right. Right. But this is what we're seeing that these some of these some of these kids are affected. Um, so, yeah, a lot of that stuff was really, really surprising to see and to see it so consistently. Mind you, a small sample, right? but still pretty consistent one narrative to the next. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's super, when in, when gender is there, you see a lot of different things that you wouldn't see otherwise. Yeah, there's there was so much there in what that little bit you said, <laughs> like. Yeah, I really feel like that could be a whole series, right? Just based off of your thesis. So to keep doing that, please revisit that topic. <laughs> yes, thank you. I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to get it out, get it for public. Uh, trying to publish part of it um, later this year. So I'll keep yeah. you. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> Here you go. Keep us posted. Share those links on Twitter. Um, but so I also kind of want to pick out certain things that you said or highlight certain things that you said around hypermasculinity and that that's what intersectionality is right it's the pressure of patriarchy and misogyny on top of the stereotypes about people's skin tones and they are stereotypes right and i think that's part of a conversation people can understand and relate to no matter what their background is is the idea of a stereotype and so stereotyping someone based on their skin tone as being more masculine or being less masculine um is harmful right and reductive and needing to see people as humans first and let let their actual personality and behavior guide the way you perceive them um there was a comment by ati shati um that talked about you know in terms of women because of those stereotypes right darker skinned women aren't seen as feminine right and so that's right. like sort of cross hatch of Mm -hmm. stereotypes if dark skin is associated with masculinity it's you know socially that benefits dark skin and sometimes but as you pointed out in the justice system that harms them and so it's like right. so intricate and nuanced and exactly it's really important to to be aware of that um let's see 
Oh, so Audie Shawty said, would love to see you chat with a trans black person on the topic of colorism soon as well. That's such an important combo that needs Absolutely. to be. Um, and I think, yeah, so I'm, I've reached out to some people and hopefully they're able to come on. But I think, yeah, in terms of the ability to be seen as feminine and or masculine, I can mm -hmm. understand that intersection. So I agree. I'm hoping to have that conversation going forward as well. Um, so what would you say are, have been, actually, I'm going to back up because there was another question I had in my mind. Because um, you mentioned being 17 when you first uh, had that feeling of like, oh, this colorism thing, this, this skin tone thing is an issue, right? Mm -hmm. um, how, what did you experience before then, like growing up? Like, did you, now that you have hindsight, right? So maybe you weren't conscious of it then, but now that you have done this work, are you able to then reflect back on your own childhood, you know, the preteen years, mm -hmm. um, and see things differently in terms of skin tone and color in your family or community? So there's a few things. I'll say, oh, let me say this. Before I moved to Miami, um, I lived in New Hampshire. So we're in the, <laughs> I get that reaction all the time. So <laughs> we're, we're talking about, you know, a, a town that was 96 to 98% white. Um, and I was called all types of obscenities, right? N-word, this, don't belong here. And, th and then back then I also had a very thick accent. So I had all kind of all these things, all these things that were, um, that were working at, at the same time. Um, and to that, to that end, you know, I, I, in retrospect, I'm able to see kind of like the, the, that stuff build, I guess. Um, again, and then when I'm getting to Miami, like a very different, a very different kind of multicultural experience. Um, again, not to say that that stuff wasn't there. Um, so it was kind of like that earlier on, I guess in my childhood, it was just like, us against like not against like but us and then there's like white people like it's kind of like that because that's what all was around um and then again it changed in miami um now there's a second part to that question that's escaping me um, what was um it? i think i was just asking like now that you have the, that oh question. that's another thing right so then i'm also i was also able to pick up on different different conversations that I overheard as a child, right? Mm. Um, you know, from, from extended family, just different things from older folks that you hear. And it's like, okay, you know, these are really problematic things that, that, that are being said, right? That are happening within the family. Um, things about, uh, things about, you know, either staying out of the sun or marrying light Right, so I, I, there's a lot of there's a, there was like a lot of talk of that, and mostly, um, mostly stemming from I think my aunt who was who was not like I don't know she wasn't received well by her by her lighter skinned or, or white um, partner initially in the Dominican Republic um, by by their family, so you know kind of these, these some of this rhetoric that you hear um, that I was able to piece together later that's like wait a minute this stuff isn't like not cool you know and it's like perpetuating a lot of the things that now is clearly 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 an issue but then um was i guess normalized you know for for lack of a better word um 
Yeah. So yeah, you know, and, and, and being able to piece it all together now, looking back and having all the knowledge I know now about different things, you see, a, you see a lot of stuff that, um, you know, for example, there, there's just like this, there's a saying that I don't know how many times I heard um, that it's still prevalent throughout Latin America, you're mejorando la raza, right? Bettering the race or improving the race. And, you know, people say that they, they have good intentions and they mean, you know, marry well, marry, but they're also saying like, marry white, marry light, you know? Um, and so you kind of see these things and you heard these things, but you didn't realize like where they're, what they were stemmed in or what, like where they're stemming from rather. So, yeah, that's, you know, some, some difficult conversations you have to revisit with family, family members, you know, now that you're, that you're an adult and you kind of have the vocabulary and, and whatnot. So, yeah, it's been a journey. I'll say that. <laughs> um, so I'm also curious um, because it's interesting. I was thinking about this, how this is my first time like bringing guests on for my weekly live streams this month. And all like my first three guests have all been light skinned, like in pretty like fairly light skinned folks. Mm -hmm. at that. Um, so I was thinking, I was like, what is... Um, a, that was accidental. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> for my fans, like, y'all know. But I also feel like I'm always on here every week, and I'm, you know, holding it down for the dark-skinned folks every week anyway. Um, but I think there are, like, just great examples of how light-skinned people can show up to the conversation. So I'm being a little selfish here, Edlyn, because I get a lot of direct messages. I get a lot of comments from light-skinned people asking what they can do, right? They mm -hmm. want to know they oftentimes ask dark-skinned people, you know, well, how can I help? And, you know, I want, I, I want to know how to show up in this space. I want to know how to be an ally. I want to know, um, like, what dark-skinned people need from me. Or, you know, like, all kinds of questions. And so I've said a few times, I said, well, there are, I know light-skinned people who are doing this work and who are doing it well. I know light-skinned people are having these conversations in ways that are, um, you know, equitable and inclusive and fair and not, you know, centering themselves necessarily. And so I said there are examples out there. So what would you say um, to someone who has that question, right? How can light-skinned people <clears throat> show up as allies, best show up to have conversations about colorism in ways that are not silencing or overshadowing the voices and the experiences of darker-skinned people? You know, I think about this question all the time because in, in some ways it's like, a, I feel like it's an easy question, but then when I try to verbalize it, it's not always an easy question to answer. Um, and I think increasingly I am thinking about resources. That's, that's kind of where I've, I've been, you know, ruminating on it for so long that more and more I think about it, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being pulled towards resources. And that is, that's to say, okay, so so-and-so is a, is a, you're a light-skinned person that's a talented graphic designer, cool. Go ahead and make graphics for the person that wants to, that the darker skin person that's putting that's creating a website that's that's making pamphlets. Um, you you ha you have connections at this radio station. Okay, plug that person at that radio station so they can right. So like, there's not use use your skills. I would say use your skills to put that that person in a position to to take advantage of something whatever it is. Um, if you have access to a space and you know that this person has an upcoming talk or an upcoming event they want to host, put them in the space, right? Facilitate, facilitate that space for them. Facilitate a, a free or, or, or significantly bargained space, right? Money, resources like are, are actually important. Um, so I think in, in that way, you know, there is a very practical way to help folks where 
it's like, hey, I know I know so and so that works at this company, plug them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in a more abstract, um, but equally as 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 helpful and uh, and beneficial way, um, is you know showing up showing up for showing up for events, learning, doing the homework beforehand. Don't, um, you know, I, I don't always, I don't always take kindly to folks who are like, what can I do? What can I do? It's like, well, have you done the work? Have you done any research first? Have you looked into it whatsoever? Yeah. Um, right. Come to me with, come to me with, Hey, this is what I've done. This is what I do. This is, these are the skills I have to offer. Can you use these for your benefit? Mm-hmm. This is what I can offer. Can you, can you, can you use this? Yes or no. If you can't, I'll come back again with something else. Right. Do the work. And I think that's the part that people aren't, aren't really doing. Um, you know, and at, that said, I, um, you know, I find myself in, in an interesting position as, as a, as a, you know, as a light-skinned man. And, you know, I, 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 get, I, get, I get called out for it sometimes too. And that's, and that's completely fair. And I expect that. Um, and I, you know, and I'll take, I'll take the heat when it comes, you know, like, yeah, like, you know, I, I am, t- I am in these positions and I'm talking about this stuff and I'm aware of it. Um, you know, and I'll deal. I'll deal with it as it comes. So, you know, I remember at one event, my my advisor, who who's a dark skinned woman with locks, and you know, she she gets asked to do a bunch of talks everywhere. Um, she does great research, so she couldn't do this talk. So she so she put me. You know, she's like someone does similar research. So you know, they're expecting this dark skinned woman who's like does this like Afro Brazilian work, and here I am, light skinned man. They're you know, and I got called out. I got called out um, after the show by a young black woman at, at, at the university. She goes, you know, what do you know about colorism? You're, a, you know, you're a light skinned man. And you know, you're absolutely right. You know, like this, this space, this space could have been for someone else. This person couldn't make it. So I'm, I'm just here because of that. You know what I mean? So, you know, there, there, there's ways to, to, to acknowledge your, my, uh, my shortcomings and my, and my privilege and my positionality and all that. Um, and also, you know, I feel like I, um, I try. I try to do the work. You know, I try to do the work. I try to plug people. I try to do this, and I try to encourage others to do the same. And that, and as long as I'm doing that, I feel like, um, and as long as others are doing that, right? Other light skinned folks are doing that. I feel like that's in going towards the right direction. Um, the final thing I'll say about that is, sometimes you're gonna mess up. You're gonna be an imperfect ally. You're gonna be imper- an imperfect accomplice, but at least you're doing something, right? Um, now, if someone checks you, like you know, heed, you know, heed their their checking, like you know, acknowledge it, um, th- ponder on it, think on it, but um, you know, you're gonna you're gonna mess up sometimes, and that's that's what it is. Like sometimes you're not gonna be perfect, but you're out here doing something. Yeah, <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> See, I know I, I'm I'm like always pleasantly surprised, but like not surprised by how good my guests are, because like I. <laughs> I don't know what y'all talking about, but then to actually hear you say it. Um, B.O. Bay says, sometimes a simple I see you can make all the difference. Mm-hmm. And I I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Raven Roberts says you do the work. So Raven Roberts is the founder of Own Your I Am for anyone. Mm-hmm. Edlin Veras is part of that organization. And so you can wave at Raven in the chat as well. JB1710 says, need more men like you to take a stand. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, so if there aren't any other questions, I'm kind of wrapping up like in terms of my questions, Edlin, but also if there are like specific topics that you wanted to get in uh, or things that came to mind, you can let us know. But folks, this is a reminder to, you know, type in your questions if you have any before we wrap up here. 
Um, but I kind of want to revisit the question around gender and men and have, have not them feeling like they don't have the space to say these things, right? And the fact that, oh, I've never said this before. So for someone like me, for example, right? Um, I'm gonna ask you, cause I haven't done the work, Edlin. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> how, can, how can we hold space for men? And is it my place even to hold space for men? Do they need other men to hold space for them in terms of having these conversations around colorism? It's cause I'll admit, and I know now I'm just pretty, um, now I'm just pretty, hey, LaVonda. Um, she did like a live stream with three uh, men talking about colorism. So holding space for men to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. Do you have any um, thoughts or ideas or recommendations for either, you know, just in general, how we can bring men into this conversation more uh, fully? <clears throat> so, yeah, that is a really good question. Um, you know, so I'll say this first. Even in my own study, I realized that me being light skinned impacted the way the interviews went yeah. right so the darkest the darkest the darkest kid focus group was substantively different and um it was yeah it was a, it was a different feeling for sure right because i'm asking them these, these interesting you know, difficult questions um and here i am you know on the other side of the spectrum in many ways right um but i think that there's you know there's a benefit and there's a there's a downfall to that so i don't think there's necessarily a good or bad judgment on that per se but it's just going to be different. Um, but I, so I'll step away from that real quick. And, and I'll say that I think that men and black men overall need to be afforded the emotional latitude, um, the vulnerability even to have conversations that are uh, oftentimes framed as, as uniquely feminine. And in many ways they are particularly feminine because of the way beauty and, and, um, and, and race and gender kind of come together. So there's definitely that. Um, that said, I think there is a there is a an undercurrent that doesn't allow men to show these type of nuances, right? Not a lot of men are going to walk around uh, saying that you know I wish my my aunt, my grandmother had played with my hair, had wanted to play with my hair, had touched my hair, right? Not a lot of men are going to say that, um, and I think that's going that's going to be rooted in ideas of masculinity and and not letting men have the 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 breadth of of, of emotionality that. That, uh, that women sometimes you know, are, are afforded, um, you know, and so that masculinity does in society does come with extreme benefits, right, in, in a lot of ways. But I think a disadvantage that I, I would point out, I think, is the emotional latitude, again, that and the vulnerability that men are not allowed to, to express. And I think colorism in many ways falls within that. Um, you know, and even when I was doing my pilot studies, um, you know, I was talking to to various folks, some some um, athletes, college athletes, and whatnot, NFL athletes even, and they were they would even um, you know like it was kind of like this, what do I look like talking about skin color? You know, like as a man, what do I look like talking about my own skin color? You know, and it was kind of this idea like how could I even approach this? And um, so again, giving men that space to it's okay to talk about this thing that is affecting us in various capacities. Um, so I think, I think it's about that, about having, having an honest conversation about what masculinity, how masculinity is, is limiting um, our ability to speak on whatever. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. And I think the, I, I, so I've said this before, like in on like my personal Facebook page and stuff too. And I think for women, we have to, be careful about like that internalized patriarchy and misogyny in which we judge men. 
So like other men judge men for expressing emotional things, but women mm -hmm. don't judge men, right? We also roll our eyes if a man, you know, says he was hurt at age 10 or something like that. And so I think there's um, just even in our comportment and our demeanor around a man who might start to cry, for example, or around a man who's sharing a vulnerable thought or feeling our idea, sometimes rolling your eyes or like being like, you know, like, why is he, you know? So I think subtle things like that can even invite people to be honest and to be open as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. We do have some questions that came in and y'all know okay. I love folks. So I gotta, gotta ask <laughs> questions as well. Sure, sure. Um, so the first one, um, from Armando Rivera, 1989, AKA Jorge, who was on last week. <laughs> okay, okay. What do you do with colorism in your familia? And I know you kind of touched on that, but maybe just like a quick revisit of that. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I think what's been most effective for me is um, kind of asking people like, well, why do you think you're saying that? Or, or <laughs> whatever the comment is, right? Oh, so-and-so is, you know, is is attractive for for their for for for, dark, for being dark skinned for example or for a dark skinned person that person's attractive it's like okay well what do you mean by that you know is the assumption that you know xyz and then having people really question it, like oh because you know a lot of times people are, are growing up with with rhetoric that they don't not that they don't understand necessarily but it's it's so ingrained that they're not they're not um fully aware of the of the impact necessarily so i think i think questioning being able to question um, question them on on the the, the motivations or the, the, what they're trying to trying to portray has been has been useful for me um, so far. Awesome, I think that yeah, and that that's also a, like a less confrontational way to do it too by asking the mm -hmm. question. Like, why do you think you're saying that, or why do you think you feel that way? Versus like, you're wrong, even if they are wrong. Right. <laughs> like sometimes and it's not they the are. best thing to lead with. <laughs> exactly. Um, but also I feel like even as a, being a teacher too, when we start with questions, people integrate the information more when they come to the answers, when they have that epiphany exactly. for themselves versus being lectured at. So I think that's great advice. Um, this is something we haven't touched on um, in this discussion, even though we've been talking about gender and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm just living says colorism in relationships, question mark. So what do you, what are some of your, I know that's a big topic, but <laughs> what are some of like your overarching observations about how colorism plays out in relationships? And I'm assuming romantic relationships. So, you know, there, there are kind of two kind of almost competing streams I think I've seen. So I'll start, I'll start, I'll, I'll revert back to my, to my uh, focus group study. And the, the light-skinned men are like all women they want a masculine, dark-skinned man, which is not going to be a light-skinned group. And the dark-skinned men were saying, all the light-skinned men get all the women, right? So someone, so, yeah. someone's lying, you know? <laughs> and it's not really that somebody's lying. Hilarious. Right? So there's, right, there are some undercurrents going on, right? So there are, there's ideas of masculinity that are attractive to women, right? Assuming a heteronormative couple. Um, and there are... Um, there are ideas of masculinity, so that that would benefit that would benefit darker skinned men. Um, there's some ideas around beauty and, and aesthetic that would benefit lighter skinned men, right? So there's these kind of two competing things. Um, you know, so one of one of the men said they always say tall, dark, and handsome. They never say tall, light, and handsome. 
right? And that's, you know, right? So there's these kind of these things. Um, so that's just from my study. You know, I think the research will show that on average, lighter skin, lighter skin folks are more likely to be coupled and, um, and marry and so on and so forth. And, and women fare better in the marriage markets and whatnot. Um, but I think there's definitely, you know, these undercurrents of masculinity and, and colors and that kind of are at play at the same time. That's a great question. Though. Yeah. I also, as you would, so when I think <laughs> there's for the darker skinned men, I think featurism is, it becomes like a really, because the darker skinned men, who, men, the darker skinned men, <laughs> who are seen as like the heartthrobs, who are seen as like the gorgeous Tay Diggs, even a Tyrese, even um, like a Kofi Cerebo. Um, their features are very chiseled mm, right. out in a lot of ways versus other dark-skinned men who are considered ugly, right? And who would not mm -hmm. garner that kind of admiration and attention because of their features. If you think of like Sterling K. Brown, a friend of mine, um, June. I know June usually watches, but I don't think he's watching today. Um, Sterling K. Brown, because he has like bigger lips, right? And like mm -hmm. a bigger, right? The people are less likely to compare him to like a Tay Diggs or um, mm -hmm. he's even. And then even the right, right. thing, right? Like a lot of times they are, you know, chiseled and have all these other things going on that mm -hmm. contribute to their idea, their version of beauty or attractiveness as well. Absolutely. Um, hey, J. Ray Brown. Um, oh, I as a brown skinned man have experienced such prejudices. Oh, you have to share for certain. For certain? I think that's what your screen name is. Um, and then um, Jorge, aka Armando, if you're looking at the chat, said, how do you welcome slash dance with femininity? And that's a question, that's a really interesting question. And I'm thinking about how I would answer that, but I'm gonna throw it to you. <laughs> I'm gonna throw it back, no, uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, how do I, you know, that sounds like a dissertation uh, defense question. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Let yeah. me get back to you on that. No, um, <laughs> how do I welcome femininity? Um, I guess I, I guess I would ask for clarification, uh, you know, in, in my personal life, in, my research and exploring colorism um, it seems like a really interesting question i, I really I, I really don't um know how to how to begin with that um, yeah I feel you um I think so my initial thoughts and if Armando is still watching, please clarify you know offer clarification um, but I think about the idea that humans all have like masculine and feminine energy within them and whatever we label it. And so maybe femininity being the more, the, the energy that holds space for that, you know, latitude of emotionality, um, wherever your heart moves you. <laughs> okay, philosophy. All right, uh, let's see. <laughs> hmm. I think I think you can do nothing but embrace femininity. Um, I think, yeah, and I think I think I'll tie this to what I said earlier about, uh, you know, patriarchy limiting the human experience. And I, you know, I say this lightly, right? Because if I say that that masculinity or being masculine or being man is a disadvantage, uh, 
position, you know, that, that's, uh, that's not what I want to portray. But I, I do think that there's a, um, as Dr. Webb noted, if the human experience is, is this kind of vast spectrum between, um, this vast spectrum, I'll just say, a vast spectrum that has masculinity and has femininity and has other expressions, um, to deny a group femininity, to, to, to deny a group the ability to express femininity, whether self-imposed or externally imposed, I think is in, in some ways limiting their expression of humanity. Um, and to that end, I think, I think to, dance, to dance with femininity properly is to embrace it and to, and to uh, be able to express your full humanity in, in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now I'm like getting into like gender stuff, but like it is that I think a lot of times that inability, that repressed femininity in men that leads to misogyny, that leads to the hatred for women who are like this embodiment of something that they themselves can't, you know, tap into or express for fear or, you know, so mm -hmm. <laughs> more conversation is needed on that end. Absolutely. And I can't see your screen name anymore now that I've thrown the question up there. Alana M-O-O-O. So she's, she's asking, how do we as a Black community educate Black men about colorist biases in dating and relationships? Many seem to be in denial. Um, yeah, because I'll, I'll, I know what I do. I just don't. <laughs> they, no. they think, you know, but go ahead. What do you say to no, that? that? You know, I think that's in part true. I think that they, and by and large, I think there's a select group of the, of the male contingency that is very stuck on denying um, colorism and just explaining in a way with preference, 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 preference. And it's like, okay, well, where are your preferences coming from? They, preferences don't exist in a vacuum. You don't just pick one out of the air and like, this is what I'm gonna go with today, right? These things are, are, are in our lives since our infancy, right? We, and we're starting to see somewhat now representation on, on TV where we see different black, uh, different black people from all, all walks of life. Um, and by and large, so we're having probably maybe the best, I don't know the numbers on it, but maybe we're having the best, um, the best representation on TV and in media. I know I, I joke all the time when I go to Target, the ads that I see in there, I'm like, okay, you know, there's like black people all over the place. Okay, you know? So it's like, it's, it's kind of cool, you know? And that said, there's still like a lighter skinned folk that are gonna be primarily taking these positions. Um, and that's gonna be the standard of beauty. So. You know, there there are these, these these forces that are kind of pushing on us. So I again, I, I would go with the question method if I, if I engage at all, and it's it's, and it's like, well, why is that your preference? Why, um, you know, if you if you say you don't have a disdain for dark skinned women, why is your dating history this? You know, and even with my home with my some of my friends, right? So my homeboys, I got to ask them like, yo, you know, you say, oh, black queen, da da da, chocolate sister. Okay, let me see if we, you know your past previous girlfriends have been you know like this. So it's like. What are we really talking about? Um, so sometimes you got to show them their own data and, and kind of make them realize. Uh, so that's a good question. Though. Yeah, I like that phrase, show them their own data. Um, and, and also I, I commend you for, you know, talking to your homeboys because I don't. So I was having a conversation with um, Dewan actually. And he was saying how like men are having these conversations. It's just that like women black women aren't necessarily privy to them all the time. Cause I was like, why don't men talk about this? And like, why don't, you know, the black men who say that they're the good ones, why aren't y'all checking y'all homeboys and being like, mm -hmm. Hey man, like that's not cool or whatever. And he's like, well, we do have these conversations and maybe they're just like out of earshot, like of black women, you know? Um, but you know, you giving that as an example that you do also, you know, 
look at your friends and say, hey, we can do better. You know, like we can call each other to a higher standard. And I think right, right. That's what we have to do in the black community. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you are speaking the truth, bro. <laughs> um, Hila sister says, I mean, but do we want the brothers that don't want us, though? I think we should start from our children. Okay, Hila sister. Mm. I agree. So Hila sister, I used to say, I've been saying this since college. Like, I don't want nobody that don't want me. You know, and I yeah, use my excellent vernacular. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want nobody that don't want me. So I feel you on that one. Um, I think definitely starting with the young men and like showing them, even when we talk about representation, I feel for black children because there's even less of it in children's media. Like mm -hmm. a lot of the mm -hmm. progress we've made in representation is like for adult consumption in many mm -hmm. ways. Um, even like the famous actresses like Viola Davis, right? She's not making cartoons for kids. And mm -hmm. so that, I think there's a whole like segment, a whole arena like for talented creators who create media of various types to target black children with these diverse representations and skin tone and having darker skin, you know, um, girls as the lead character. I even think about this, the movie uh, Jingle Jangle, right? And how I yeah, love yeah in the skin tones, but the girl, right, the little girl, right, it's still very similar to what I saw growing up, where the, the girl that I would aspire to is lighter complected. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I also say, say too that it, we also have to teach the teachable adults, right, so if there yeah, is a yeah. you know, who is teachable, who's open, I think also teaching them because a lot of them might be raising sons. Right, a lot of them might be raising daughters, and so are they might have influence in the life of children. So teach the teachable adults, and then like focus as much energy and effort into the children as as possible. Um, this has been a riveting conversation. <laughs> the group <It> has. <laughs> be having these conversations. A lot of us are just slow to admit we have been toxic. We have these toxic biases and the implicit impacts this has. The Magic School Bus, Black Kids are light-skinned now. I saw that. I saw. Was it your post that I liked? I liked somebody's post that was pointing that out. Um, Marcia Martin just casted her new show. It's for younger Black girls. The casting is amazing. Thank you, Raven Roberts, for letting us know, putting this on. Teach the Teachable. Um, so this is, yeah, this has been great. <laughs> this will be up on YouTube this week. Um, but any last thoughts before we go? Um, thank you for joining. And I will be bringing Raven Roberts on, your, your partner in own, I, own Your I Am, to talk as well. So for folks who want to learn more about the organization, I'll be talking with the founder at some point soon as well. Yeah, you know, yeah, this, this has been really great. I, I'm, I'm happy that we, that we had the opportunity to do this. I think, um, you know, and I, I, I always joke that I'll sound like a broken record when I say this, but I feel like if there's the one if there's one thing you you leave away from going to anything that where I am where I have spoken on colorism, it's that we have to think about colorism systemically, right? So oftentimes we have these conversations and we're talking about the individual, micro, and interpersonal, and that's important and real, and you know the day to day is very very important. But we're talking about material consequences across time and space that are that are influencing the life chances of people income, education, incarceration, so on and so forth. So this is a this is a real issue that we have to we have to hold we have to hold to the same esteem, the same the same serious same gravity as as systemic racism. And and that's where I think we'll start making headway when we can do that kind of consistently. So 
that's the last thing I'll say on on that. And thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to, for you to speak with Raven when she comes on here. She has a, a lot of great stuff to, to share. So yeah, you two are gonna be you two are gonna be great. Yay! Oh, I'm gonna be on your platform as well. That's <laughs> right. That's right. So we're having we're having you on soon on a very interesting discussion on futurism um, and current events and, and whatnot. So I, I cannot wait to have you on. Um, Yes. All right. I was pointing to my my wide nose here when you said futurism. <laughs> oh, I was like, I was like, that's on my nose. Is that what you're talking about? Oh no, no, no. I was not signaling. I wasn't signaling. <laughs> um, but all of everyone in the chat, unfortunately, Instagram doesn't save the chat, which is like terrible because the chat is so awesome. Yeah. But thank you all. We see y'all and all of your questions, comments, feedback. Um, and yeah, I'll let you go. I, I know. Oh, uh, one last, one last little plug, if I could. Um, for all of you that don't follow us at Own Your I Am on Instagram, we are at Own Your I Am, um, and also the same on Twitter, Own Your I Am. Um, so please follow. We have content um, pretty regularly on uh, on colorism, on kind of current events, things that are happening, and we also do lives on there as well, as we as we mentioned. So please do follow. Yes, and you all accept stories, right? You all. Oh yeah, we we accept. Um, you can DM us with with a topic or concepts or things that you'd like us to discuss, and we'll and we'll take kind of a, a poll to see where where the pulse is, what people what people want to hear, and uh, we'll, we'll you know we'll bring it to to you all live. Mm -hmm. And if you are watching live, you can click on the top left hand corner of your screen. You'll see um, our images, colorism, healing, and on your I am. If you click on that, it'll take you to follow their page, like right now. And if you're watching the recording, I will link, I will tag them so you can follow them easily from there as well. All right. Um, I'm trying to read the last little comments. Uh, Ooh, yeah, that's a lot right there. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, Missy Camille, I see you. He said, I don't want half the ones that want us because they treat us as a fetish. Yeah, that's something I, I think about it a lot too for like, and there's a, a film called No Shade, No Shade. Um, it's a UK film. Um, I think this um, black woman in the UK created the film and that's one of the, the light-skinned characters she realizes that her boyfriend doesn't really know who she is, doesn't like her for who she is, but was just fetishizing her lighter skin tone. And so no spoiler alerts, but <laughs> that's the thing there. Okay, I gotta stop. But I look forward to our next conversation. I'm excited that Absolutely. we'll talk again, and I'm excited that we'll have a group conversation with Raven included as well. Okay, Absolutely. take care everyone. I love you all, you know I do. Thank you for having me. Yes, take Bye care. Mm-hmm. Thanks again for listening. Please remember to hit the like button and share this episode with a friend. I hope you can join us again for the next one. <laughs>